Good evening. Welcome to the services and the church that meets here at Dalreda. Definitely a blessing to be here. Um, I enjoyed lunch bunch number five today and them uh, inviting the college students to stay and um, eat with them. I had a good time just sitting around talking, meeting new people. Look forward to more opportunities like that. I think it really shows the heart of a congregation like the church here at Dalreda that wants to be together, that wants to enjoy not only food together, but that special fellowship that Christians enjoy. Another opportunity that we have is to be here to worship together. Shows our bond together, be able to lift up our voices to God, but also study His Word. So before we get into His Word, let us have a prayer together. Lord our God, we come before you tonight. Thank you for everything that you have done in our lives, that you take care of us as your children, you provide for us in so many ways. I thank you for the family that meets here. What a great joy it is to know that we have one another as we continually walk together through this world. I pray that you will lift us up, that you will uh, keep us as your children, that you'll continue to bless us as you do in so many ways. pray that you'll be with us as we uh, study your word tonight, that we'll take these things and apply them to our lives and share them with others. We thank you for your son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Appreciate David reading tonight from Genesis chapter 11. Tonight we're going to be looking at the story of Babel and the situation that happens there. I have four observations, four things I want to look at from this particular passage, things that we can learn, and I think even things that we'll notice in our own lives when we see the people here in this story. You know, when I think about Babel, it's a weird place in time. I mean, you think about this story. For us, you know, it's 11 chapters into the first book of the Bible. But think about how much has happened in the world up until this point. God bringing all things into existence, starting creation, then creating man and woman to dwell in a garden with him. And you progress from them and you see them falling. You see their sin that they committed, eating of the tree of knowledge and good and evil that God told them not to touch. You see them being cast out of the garden, a place that had become their home, having to go into the world with a new set of rules, a new set of challenges, things that they probably didn't even imagine would happen, but because their eyes were open to both the knowledge of good and evil, they experienced these things. And if their fall and their situation in life wasn't bad enough, they see their kids, Cain and Abel, going through a rough time. I mean, imagine that the earth only being created for a short amount of time, Adam and Eve looking at their sin they committed and the consequences of it, how do you think they would handle a murder in their own home, in their own family unit, seeing their sons go through this struggle, and for what reason? I mean, it's strange to think about these four people, and, and you know, you think about the other kids that come from here, but think about these four people and their limited experience on this earth. What a challenging place to live in. If that wasn't bad enough, you see the people that come from them. And you see battles and you see struggles until you get to Genesis chapter 6 and you see God looking at all of creation and saying, how did you progress to this point? God looking at His creation and saying, I'm going to have to destroy it. I mean, I think about how much of a challenge that would be for both humanity and for God to go through this learning curve, to experience the things that are happening at this time. And because of this, you see God 
speaking to Noah, who was found to be righteous, who was blameless, and his family with him, and they, uh, they build the ark, and they are carried through the destruction of the flood. And then from them, nations flow again. Up until you get to Genesis chapter 11, and you see this history, you see how creation, how people have come to this point, and you see the progression of sin, but you also see the progression of righteousness. And you get to this unique story here in Genesis chapter 11, after more and more people have formed, after more and more people have come on this earth, they start gathering together in a particular area. Now, when I look at this story, a lot of questions come to mind, and we're going to address a few of those tonight. But I look at this, and my first gut reaction is, what did they do wrong that God would want to drop in and make a change? Because it seems like every time God interacts with creation, it's because of their bad decisions. It's because they did something that was outside of God's rules and regulations. And you see him coming across this group of people at Babel. And there's going to be some things that we can look at here that I think lead to destruction, that lead to issues. But in and of itself, this story doesn't necessarily deal with their sin as much as their perspective. And maybe this is a maintenance call on God's behalf of seeing where creation was going to progress, seeing where men were going to go in the way that they worked on this earth. And you see God changing it a little bit, not removing free will, not altering his plan, but causing them to work in a different way. So there's four observations, four mindsets that I want to look at from this passage that I I think are very beneficial to us. And maybe some warning signs, not saying that God's going to come in and, and change things up necessarily like you would experience in this big moment where God changed the language and people are dispersed over the face of the earth. But I think because of the things that we'll see here, the mindsets that they have, we can see changes coming in our life. It may be paths that will lead us to destruction or maybe to confusion because of our decisions. So if you are in uh, Genesis chapter 11, I'm going to start reading in verse 1, and we'll stop periodically as we continue through. Genesis chapter 11, starting in verse 1, says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said one to another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they made brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Now, I don't know if David did this intentionally when he was reading, but I feel like he did, of really pointing out how many times the personal pronoun is used here about them. You look at this verse again in verse uh, 4. It says, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. I don't know if that just happens as you read through it, that you see that, that particular point being made, that it is centered on this group of people. At this point, they are looking at building a tower, and whatever the cause may be of that, Whatever it was that led to this point, you know, some people will look at this story and say, well, maybe they were wanting to build a tower in order for them uh, to save themselves from a flood if there was another situation. You know, maybe that they were afraid a flood was going to come in, so they're going to build this large tower that was going to go into the heavens and they could avoid it. I'm pretty sure if they heard the story coming from Noah, 
and his descendants, I'm going to say they were pretty aware that there was no way they were going to escape a flood like that. Me personally, I look at this story and I don't think they were trying to escape something. I think it's literally what the text said. They were wanting to make a name for themselves. And they were wanting to build a tower that reached into the heavens. You know, I I continue to read and continue to think about that. What kind of mindset would it take for a group of people to say, we want to make a name for ourselves? We like designations. We like names in our lives. I like to categorize things. And to categorize, you must have a name. What do you think this people was wanting to have a name of? We're the ones who built the tower. You think it was just over some piece of, uh, uh, of structure that they wanted to be named for? Is it more what they were trying to accomplish? To make a name for themselves is something that sets them apart and centers around who they are. Whether they were trying to escape a flood, whether they were trying to get to God, whether they wanted to see who could just make the tallest tower and they were going to win that competition, whatever the case was, They were centered on themselves. And so the first mindset that I want us to be aware of tonight that can lead to confusion and uh, possibly destruction in our own lives in a lot of different ways is the concept of pride. Now, we don't like to think about pride because we're probably going to say we're not prideful people. But if we really get into the way we interact with one another and maybe the way we feel about certain situations, we do have pride in our lives. Now, it's how we handle that pride and what we want to do with it that usually goes a little bit further. I know there are times in my life where I can be very prideful, and I realize that. I acknowledge those things, and sometimes it's not me acknowledging it, but it's coming from a third party that's coming and saying, Billy, you need, you need to stop. You need to slow down. We all experience pride in our life. We all come across some kind of situation that we get a little too much about ourselves. I think about what Solomon writes in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18. Pride goes before destruction. You look at this group of people here that are trying to make a city, trying to build a tower, to make a name for themselves. You know, I don't know if this is just looking at the text and observation, but what if, were they trying to make a name for God? That's kind of like in contrast to Solomon. Solomon was going to build a city and a temple for God to dwell. A place where God could live instead of in a tent that was being taken all over the place. In a sense, I think Solomon was trying to put a place where God's name could be found. Where he says all nations will flow to this city. All nations will come to Jerusalem. They will come to the temple to worship. Now Solomon may have had some issues in his life. And some bad decisions that came later on. But I feel in that moment, and from what I read, is that Solomon was trying to make a name for God. A place where people could come to acknowledge God. But that's in contrast to the people here at Babel. They're wanting to make a name for themselves. And I think about our pride. You know, when I look at things that we do on this earth, you know, we sing songs like, talking about counter many blessings. I mean, really, we could go through our lives and we could look at all the different blessings in our life. And when we're listing those out, we think about God and say, man, he's blessed me with a home. He's blessed me with a job, a family, food. And we could go on and on and on and on and on when we list out those blessings. 
But in the moment, how many times do we actually acknowledge God in our lives? Not when we're consciously thinking about it and we're saying, oh yeah, this had to come from God, but just automatic, an automatic response that God is in our lives blessing us. You know, I think about so many things that God has done in my own personal life. Challenges, obstacles, things that I would have never overcome had it not been God in my life. But it's very easy for me to look at those situations and say, look at all the great things that I did. Look at all the great things that I was able to do on my own. Or maybe I look at those challenges, those low moments, and say, you know what? I picked myself up and I got through it. That kind of thinking really damages our relationship with God. If we know that He is in our lives, hearing our prayers, speaking to us to, through His Word, guiding us to make the right kind of decisions, all praise and all glory and all honor should be given to the Father. I think a lot of times we miss out on that. Because of our prideful stance in life, whether we intentionally do it or not, without humbling ourselves and putting ourselves under the almighty hand of God, we want to lift ourselves up too much. And the prime example that I can think of, and especially in the mindset of a group of people, is in the book of Daniel chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Daniel chapter 4. And I think about King Nebuchadnezzar. When I think about somebody who allowed their pride to end up in the wrong place... I can't help but think about Daniel. In Daniel chapter 4, you have Nebuchadnezzar having a vision. And he sees this tree that is growing up, and it's got branches, and it's flourishing. And he sees it being cut down. So he's distraught about it. Nebuchadnezzar really doesn't have good visions. He doesn't really experience good visions most of the time in his life, so he's confused. So he calls on Belteshazzar which is Daniel, and he says, Daniel, come back. Look, I know that God is with you, and I've already acknowledged him once. Can you help me with this? And I want us to observe a few little things about Nebuchadnezzar. If you'll look at Daniel chapter 4, starting in verse 1, this is immediately after the fiery furnace. In Daniel chapter 4, starting in verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar to all the people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. This is he making a statement. Peace be multiplied to you, it has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are His signs, how mighty His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and His dominion endures from generation to generation. A pagan king over a pagan nation who has exiled the Israelites comes to acknowledge God the Most High. And he makes a proclamation out to people and saying, you need to see God. And because of all his signs, because of all his wonders, he stands before you. His kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. We look to him. This same king is the one who received this vision about a tree. And you probably know how the story goes, or at least could figure out very quickly, the, key represent, uh, the tree represents him. And he is going to be cut down until he learns to acknowledge God. And Daniel is sharing this with him, and I'm wondering when King Nebuchadnezzar is looking at this saying, me? Lifting myself up above God? No way, because I've already acknowledged him. I've seen what he can do in your life, so who am I 
to say that God is not in control, whether I did or not. Well, the way the story goes in Daniel chapter 4, picking up in verse 28, it says, All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar, immediately after speaking of the, uh, the tree. At the end of twelve months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the mouth of the king, there fell a voice from heaven, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven away among men. Immediately. He shifted his focus from God to all the things that he himself did. When we get to the point in our life where we acknowledge ourselves and all the great things that we have done without acknowledging the key component in our lives, which is God, we have allowed pride to take over. When I think about Genesis chapter 11, that is the first observation that I see. The first mindset that we need to be aware of is not allowing pride to work in our lives. Knowing where to give, knowing where to humble, and knowing who to exalt needs to be our goal. So I see these people trying to build a tower, trying to make a name for themselves, and allowing pride to reign. And you continue from verse 6 in Genesis chapter 11, excuse me, um, starting in verse 5. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Now, that doesn't seem really like a bad statement. That doesn't seem too difficult at all, and it seems strange that God comes down to see the tower that the children of man had built. I mean, that almost seems like a positive thing. Hey, God came down to see our tower. Clearly, it's doing something productive that it's supposed to go to the the tops of the heavens and God comes down to see it. Whether they knew this was going on or not, Moses did as he recorded it. God comes down to see it. It's almost like it seems like a positive thing. Look, God came down to see our tower. You know, clearly he approves of our, our decision here. And then furthermore, God looks at it and he says, look, these people are one language. They're one nation. Nothing that they propose to do will be impossible for them. I think about all the advances that we have made over time. It amazes me when you look through history, even in a short span of time, maybe just looking at America, and look how much we have progressed in our knowledge, in our ability to do things. The new advances that we have in science, in the medical field, New things that we're able to accomplish by our hands, by, our, uh, by the things that we're able to build and accomplish in those ways. I mean, it truly is amazing that when we put our minds to something, we are able to accomplish a lot. And that statement doesn't look so bad in and of itself until you start thinking about where this leads. I mean, wouldn't you think that God would want us to succeed? Because with him being upset that all people are together, that they're able to do anything that they propose, well, God gave us this mind. He gave us this, these talents, these abilities. So why would he not want to see us succeed? 
So why do you think this is an issue? Why do you think that God's going to come down in the midst of this and he's going to confuse everything? He's going to switch the languages up that the people are dispersed. Is it bad that people are unified? Is it bad that there is no limit to what we propose? When I think about this verse, and I know this may be a strange connection, is I think about Psalm 115. Psalm chapter 115 deals with idols. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. Psalm 115, starting in verse 1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens, and he does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, their work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. Not only should we be aware that pride can lead us away, but I think we need to be very careful to think about all the works that we do by ourselves. And I know these are related, and these, uh, these concepts that we're going to see in Genesis chapter 11 are going to be interrelated. But what I look at here, and I know this is a strange connection, to think about idols in relation to they are able to do whatever they want. I think about the history of idols, at least just for the Israelites. You know, they had been separated and by themselves for quite some time. God had kind of guided the Israelites as they were going through the wilderness where it was just them and God. Almost to the point when you read Hosea, when he's recording this, it looks like that was their, their time alone. God saying, Israelites, you are my wife. It's almost like they spent a, a honeymoon period, that time together, learning about one another there in the wilderness. He said, we were dwelled together for 40 years. You should have known me by this point. It's like God was starting that relationship, and, and some of it had to come with, with punishment. But they were there together in the wilderness, learning about God. And they come to the brink of the Jordan, getting ready to go into the land of Canaan. And when they cross over the Jordan, no longer under the leadership of Moses, they are going to come across one of the biggest challenges in their relationship to God, which is their relationship with idols. They begin to look at these idols that are created by men's hands, and they take their focus away from God. These idols that acknowledge all the great things they were able to do by their own hands. I mean, you look throughout history at all these different gods that are part of different nations. Look at the Mesopotamian gods. Look at the Egyptian gods, the Romans, the Greeks, and so forth and so forth. They have so many different gods that acknowledge different portions of people's lives. You have a God of the harvest, and that's where you're going to put your focus because that's what you know you're able to do. And sure, they may acknowledge that God to say, you know, give us a good harvest, but they are looking for that. And they are looking to an idol for those who create them by their hands that acknowledge what they do. You know, I know that God cares about us as his children. 
He has told us that over and over again. He has sent us his son so that we can know that we have eternal life, but we can also become children in the same way as him. When we begin to look at our own abilities and think that we have no limits in life to what we are able to do, I believe we lead ourselves down a path of destruction and a path of a lot of confusion in our life. When we begin to look at all the great things that we're able to accomplish by our own hands, instead of what God is able to do in our lives, we lose focus. When we think that we have no limit to our capabilities, we begin to try and preserve life maybe beyond what God wanted. Maybe we try to incorporate too much into our society because we have the ability to do that. If God created us with a loving heart, why don't we love more people, even if they are of the same sex? You know, God wants us to live a good life, so what if we have a situation like maybe a need for abortion and we do that? We begin to look at our lives and its limited time here on this earth, and we think about all the ways that we can preserve it, maybe without acknowledging what God is able to do. And I think Psalm 115 shows that. Because the people, the nations around them are looking at them and saying, where is your God? Because their idols, you know, they were found in their houses. It was something very tangible versus looking at God permeating every aspect of our lives. Where he is the God that is able to answer our prayers. Who can reach into our lives and do things that we cannot do in and of ourselves. Sure, we may have pride to look at ourselves, but then when we begin to look at the fact that we have no limit, we take our perspective from God and put it on what we are able to do by ourselves and not think about God saving us, God healing us, God helping us. So I look at Genesis chapter 11, and I think about these people looking at their, their ability of saying, we have no limit. We can do anything. So you continue on in the story. In Genesis chapter 11. And we look at those verses again. uh, Verses 6 and continue on with 7. And it says, And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from, uh, from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. So the story progresses. They're trying to make a name for themselves. They're trying to build a city. They're trying to be unified. They're trying to all come together in this one particular place and maybe leaving God out of the equation. But you think... They're unified. Isn't that God's goal is to unify us? I mean, you think about it, doesn't he want us to be unified? So what's the problem with them being the same tongue, the same group of people? I mean, that doesn't seem like it would be a bad thing. So what's happening? Why is this an issue? Why is there going to be something that comes from it? I think it's because we have the wrong perspective of unity. The third thing that I want us to see is that we can have the wrong perspective of unity. We think that unity is being of the same mind without making any real changes. And what I think is really fascinating about this story is that when you get to Acts chapter 2, and I appreciate Doug uh, covering this, the church in Jerusalem this morning, it's almost like 
a fulfillment of the Tower of Babel. In Acts chapter 2, you have many nations that are present on the day of Pentecost. In the list that they give out there in Acts chapter 2, there's 16 different dialects that are present. And you have the apostles that are then given a portion of the Holy Spirit and they begin speaking in tongues. In every tongue that's present there, hear Peter speaking in their own language. And as the, the sermon goes, and as we know the book of Acts continues on, you see this group of people hearing the message from Peter and all of them coming to the same response, whether they were there at the cross whether they even saw Jesus himself or this is their first time in Jerusalem, they all come to the same conclusion based off of what Peter spoke. You crucified the Messiah. And they begin to say, what shall we do? And he gives them the rules. He gives them what God desires from their life and where they should actually be unified. It's not being unified in what they think is right. Because if we're going to go with the majority of what society says, I don't want to be part of that unity. I don't want to be part of what the majority of society says where we need to be unified in thought. I want to go to what God wants out of our lives. I think sometimes we have the wrong perspective of unity. It needs to be unity under the banner of God. In Acts chapter 2, all nations then come together and all nations are now under God. Forgiven of their sins, knowing they have altogether a home in heaven, not on this earth their view of unity was off. They were unified in what they could do on this earth, not what they could do for all of eternity. And I think we need to change our perspective to think about everything we do on this earth needs to be directed towards eternity. Our unity needs to come not if we agree here on this earth, but that we agree on the Word of God and what God wants so that we can all have heaven. And sometimes there are differences that arise, but that comes from Scripture where we try and guide it together in Paul's letters and Jesus himself speaking that we have unity over what he commands. And he gives us those instructions. So I look at there in Genesis chapter 11 and I see them struggling over the wrong concept of unity. And the last thing that I want to observe from Genesis chapter 11, picking up in verse 8 and reading again, it says, and so the Lord dispersed them there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused their language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. If you look in that last passage in verse 9, what is the key component to their actions? It's the Lord. He is the key factor in it. The Lord dispersed them. The Lord sent them out into all the earth. The Lord confused their language. One, I think about what, what did they experience when this happened? All of a sudden, they hear somebody else speaking in a different language. Their mind changes. And it's not just this group of people here. Said all, he confused all language. I'm just wondering about the people who are not there at Babel. Did they experience the same kind of thing? And they're thinking, what happened? But where did their understanding come from, what, this came, what came from this? The Lord did it. No longer were they focused on themselves, what they were able to do, their own limits or uh, their lack of limit, but now it was because of what God did. The last thing that I think we need to be aware of, and the mindset that we need to be uh, 
sure that we don't have is to think that God has no authority in our life. When we think that God is not working, God is not doing anything in our life, even in the smallest things, we really miss out. And the last verse that I want to leave you with tonight is in Romans chapter 13. Because, you know, when I think about a group of people struggling with understanding God and how to work together, I think about our country. And more specifically, trying to decide who, who is going to lead us. Who is going to lead us to be unified here in America? Who's going to lead us to the right laws, the right rules? And, you know, this is a big debatable topic among Christians and among society today, looking at where's that next authority going to come from. Concerned about what rules, what, uh, what things are going to be pushed among us. And I think about Romans chapter 13, starting in verse 1. It says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been in- instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. I think of this verse in, this verse in relation to our idea that there is no authority. These people thought they could do whatever they wanted. They thought that no one was going to guide them, no one was going to instruct them, but God comes in and he says, I'm in charge. I think the takeaway from this, when we look at our society and we look at the way that things are progressing with our country and our leaders and we get scared and we get concerned about what decisions are they going to make. Know that if we do what God requires and we do what is good, I don't care what rules they push. I don't care if they tell me we can't meet. I don't care if somebody tells me I can't speak. I don't care if somebody promotes one thing over the other. That does not change my relationship to God, and that does not change the authority that I answer to. But it does make me be more focused on other people. It does make me concerned for those who do not see God. In this group that you see in Genesis 11, they did not see God. They saw themselves. And they set their own standards, and they set their own bounds, and God comes in to make sure that they knew He was in charge. Whatever the case, wherever we stand in our lives, we need to acknowledge that God is the ultimate authority and that He is in charge. You know, I look at the people here at Babel, and I learn a lot from them. Not that we have a lot about them, but I learn a lot from them. Nine verses that teach me about what kind of mindset I don't need to have in order for me to succeed in the eyes of God on this earth. Stay away from God. Stay away from pride. Don't be self-centered. Don't think that you can accomplish anything without God working in your life. Don't have the wrong view of unity. And don't think that you can go without the authority of God. Few observations for us to think of. And so I turn around you to take the challenge. If there's anything that you need, the church is here to study with you, to help you, to pray with you. If there's anything that we can do to help you We're here. And if you decide that you want to give your life to God, you want to die to your sins, you want to be buried with Christ in baptism, you you want to rise to walk in the newness of life, you have the ability tonight. If there's anything we can do 
Come as we stand and as we sing.